Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters. Learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence, so you'll create those products that customers actually love. Now, we've talked about product roadmaps a few times, and it's one of the best-known tools and also one of the most misused by product managers. We've talked twice before with Bruce McCarthy. He's the co-author of the book, Product Roadmaps Relaunched, How to Set Direction While Embracing Uncertainty. We wanted to learn about roadmaps, and he was a great source for us. The first episode was episode 169, that's the everydayinnovator.com slash 169, which was right after he wrote his book. And then we followed up with him a year later to see what he has learned working with companies putting into practice many of the concepts he actually wrote in the book. That was episode 226. Again, the everydayinnovator.com slash 226. This time we're talking about product roadmaps in the context of portfolio management. It's a topic that came up last time and we wanted to dive into a little bit further. In the process, we'll discuss what a portfolio is, how portfolios can be created and managed, and how to construct a roadmap for a portfolio. Now, if you listen to this podcast, you know I like to take notes for you to make it easier for you to get the key points out of anything that we discuss. You'll find those notes at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 232. Also, I want to start sharing some stories I'm hearing from listeners of how they're putting this podcast to good use. I'll start with a friend who was considering moving from her marketing role in a nonprofit organization to a larger product role in a for-profit organization. And that was a really big shift in her mind, the nonprofit to for-profit world, and also a marketing role to more of a product-centered role. And after I read the job description she was applying for, I gave her about a dozen specific episodes I wanted her to listen to. And she did. After listening to them, she realized that the work that she was doing at the nonprofit was really similar to that new product role. She just needed to switch her terminology around some from managing programs to managing products and put her experience in the right context for the new company. And that's the point I hear from a lot of people, that they don't think their past experience really applies to product management work. And in reality, it often does. A marketing role, an engineering role, a customer sales contact role. Often there is experience there that does apply in some manner to product management. You just have to put it into the right context. So here, long story short, that was an extremely competitive position that she was applying for with a really lengthy multi-interview process. And guess what? She got the job. She stood out among everyone else. In the process, she just about doubled her salary. Now that's really awesome. And she credits the discussions from this podcast that helped her to do well in the interviews. It really helped her have a different mindset, the mindset of a product manager. Wow, isn't that a great use of this podcast? I love hearing those stories. I'm really excited that the topics we discuss are helping people in a real tangible way. And I'm working to make this podcast even better to provide more value. More on that later. Now, if you have a story of how you have been listening to The Everyday Innovator and it has helped you, I would love to hear that. Please email me directly at chad at theeverydayinnovator.com. Now, let's move on to product roadmaps. Hey, Bruce, welcome back again to The Everyday Innovators. Thank you. Good to be here. Glad you're here. This is now part three of our discussions on product roadmaps. So part one was way back in episode 169 over a year ago. And at that time, you had a recent book that you co-authored called Product Roadmaps Relaunched, How to Set Direction While Embracing Uncertainty. 
Now, part two was just a few episodes ago. That's number 226. And you shared really what you've learned in that last year. I wanted to follow up with you and find out as you've been helping companies, what more you've learned about product roadmaps. That was really useful. Right. And that led, as we were talking in episode 226, about, well, how do we apply these two portfolios to when we're in an organization working on more than one product at a time and things start overlapping some. So let's start there. And we should probably set the foundation with what is a portfolio. Right, right. Well, I appreciate you having me back. I'm starting to feel like Ken Jennings here, being um, um, back multiple times. I hope that means that... Um, it that, means uh, good things. Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, just like it did for him. So, yeah, what is a portfolio? Um, in my mind, a portfolio is a set of products. Another term for it is a product line um, that, a company, uh, that a company markets and sells, builds, etc., so hopefully your your portfolio of products um, is complementary to each other. They reinforce each other in some way. They each one adds to the certainly should add incrementally to the revenue, to the profitability, to the um, to the uh, effectiveness of your product investments. But hopefully it's more than a simple incremental linear addition. Hopefully mm-hmm. the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Now, you can get to higher and higher levels of abstraction, and a big company, a holding company, or a a big company like P&G can have multiple product lines, Um, but they would still still think of all of that as a portfolio of their products. Sometimes people take an investment point of view. Portfolio is, you know, you think about your portfolio of investments for retirement, for example. Mm -hmm. They think of it from that internal financial green eye shade kind of lens of this is our portfolio of investments in different products or product lines or different markets. And sometimes they think of it as um, our portfolio of products that we offer to a particular market. Like you might be in the um, middle tier or upper tier of, um, of interest in price points. Yeah. Bob Cooper, the StageGate founder uses that terminology of it's the balance portfolio to optimize performance yes. revenue generation. Kind of like we do with our investment portfolios. As I talk with people about this, and you know, with my teaching hat on at times too, sometimes portfolios and programs get confused. And so just address that real quick. When we talk about programs, those should be related projects in some way that are interdependent with each other. A portfolio may or may not be, right? It may just be a collection of product projects that are part of what this organization is doing. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly think about it that way. I tend to think of things less in terms of their relationship in execution, in mm-hmm. project management, in program management. But from a product point of view, I like to think of them in terms of how they hang together as an investment portfolio or as a go-to-market um, offering Yeah, that, that, um, that is complete um, from the point of view of your market. Yeah. And all these things are kind of like juggling, right? All these things are balls up in the air. And at any given time, there's a ball in your hand and there's one up going towards the top and one at the top. And mm, that's good. Good analogy. It just came to me. And, and the same thing happens in the portfolio that the products are at different stages. Like some might be getting into the market. Some may have been in the market for years and we're competing, you know, fiercely with competitors. Some might be declining and we're getting ready to retire them and replace them and the like. And that's one one good motivation, actually, for looking at a roadmap across an entire portfolio instead of just roadmaps for individual products or product mm-hmm. lines is to have a balance of things that are launching, things that are 
still in development or idea stage, things that are more mature and declining. You, yeah. uh, if, you, if you're big enough to have multiple products or product lines, you need to be thinking in terms of life cycle. Mm-hmm. You need to be thinking in terms of, well, what do we have that are the future engines of growth that can replace mature or dying products? Which is a great lead into frameworks for how do we actually structure these. So we've talked about what a portfolio is. Let's talk about how these end up getting structured to some ways that we might do that. Yeah, I think there's really two ways to think about it. One is if you think about it from the investment point of view, from the internal company point of view, how do we maximize the return on our efforts? Mm -hmm. Then um, a popular framework is McKinsey's Three Horizons framework of investment where you're thinking about um, what are our current um, cash cows, that's horizon one, the things that are big and throwing off a lot of profit right now um, and a lot of revenue. And then there's horizon two is the things that may be small in absolute dollars, but are fast growing right now. Um, Those are in the growth stage um, and will take over probably at some point as the major contributors of revenue and profit to the organization when someday they reach the scale and maturity of Horizon One products. We'll take over from the existing Horizon One part of the portfolio that probably at some point will decline. Um, and then there's Horizon Three, which is sort of your science experiments, your hmm. your your lean startup kind of part of the portfolio where um, you don't know how much opportunity there is there yet. It's contributing no significant revenue at this point, but you're out there sensing what might be next. Mm-hmm. What, where are your, 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 the purpose of Horizon 3 is to seek opportunities that others may not have yet uncovered. Yep. Um, so that's, that's very much a hedging my bets, spreading my portfolio, diversifying my portfolio, investors kind of point of view. Your board will be happy if you're thinking that way. Your um, C-suite um, may, in theory, support that. But there are some real challenges with getting alignment within the C-suite on anything beyond Horizon 1, sure. which we can talk about if you want. Um, the other point of view that I think is interesting is a market point of view on the portfolio. Um, a market-facing point, point of view comes into play when... If you're a, say, an electronics manufacturer and you're talking to your distributors or your retailers, they want to know that you have a broad catalog of products that they can sell. They want to know that you have a complete um, uh, good, better, best kind of offering in terms of price points. Um, They want to know that you um, uh, that you have um, earbuds and over the ear um, headphones. Um, studio style headphones. They want to know that you have wired and wireless. Mm-hmm. They want to know that you have um, iOS and Android. They want to know that you're covering all the bases that they see as opportunities for their customers. Right. And um, they may want to uh, narrow the number of suppliers that they use. Yeah, exactly. And so you want to be the supplier that can be as close as possible to a one-stop shop. Right. Because there's added business costs and just friction as that retailer brings on multiple suppliers. They can go to fewer number of people that can provide the needs for more of their customers, better off right. they are. So, so you have to have a credible portfolio of products mm-hmm. and a credible roadmap of future products that they feel that they can trust you to bring to market. Yeah, you're going to be viable for their needs in the future. 
Okay. Exactly. So, so I like those. I want to go back to the three horizons a bit. This gets talked about in all kinds of different ways as I talk to the customers about it. Sometimes it gets talked about in time frames, and that was mm-hmm. an element that you did have in there. I'm just curious about that. The cash cows are kind of the existing thing. And sometimes that gets put, depending on the industry of the company and the bucket of, you know, this is what we expect to be making our revenue from primarily in the next one to two years. And then the growth things are maybe in the, you know, two to three-ish, four-ish year. And then the science experiments, love that phrase, are you know maybe the five plus years sort of out. Do you think about this in a time frame way also? I do, but I almost think it's misleading because I mean a lot of, a lot of the times you look at a roadmap and you see a timeline. This is what we're doing this year. This is what we're doing next year. This is after that, right? Yep. Or this is quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, four, um, and uh, that's fine. But when you're looking at a portfolio. The thing that's misleading about the timeframes approach is that actually your efforts in each of these parts of the portfolio are all simultaneous. Right. They're all going on at the same time. And yeah, it's true that the payoff is probably further out with Horizon 2 and probably yet further out with Horizon 3. But that doesn't mean you're not working on it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you're not investing in it right now. That doesn't mean you don't need to monitor uh, what's going on. So. You know, you might put them in three columns, moving from Horizon 1 on the left to Horizon 3 on the right, and you might have time frames in there, but that makes it sound like you're going to be working on or delivering things in those time frames. So I'd actually rather flip it on its side and have swim lanes going from left to right over time and show this this is what we're working on in Horizon 1 in the next six months. And this is what we're working on going from left to right in horizon one in the following six months uh-huh. and so on. And then do that for each of the three swim lanes. I really like the way you think about that. Cause I think putting them into time slots does kind of create that emphasis that we can defer some things because they're not more immediate. Yeah, and, why are we even going to talk about right. the horizon three stuff if it's not for five years? And those science experiments are critical because in five years, it's not like we're making a detailed plan of what we're going to launch in five years. But we may be seeing some indications of a trend forming that we want to be part of, a new technology, right? There's a lot of things going on in artificial intelligence now. Right. The companies are just starting to explore and kind of play with to figure out what does it mean to them. Yeah. And those all take time to develop, to develop your competencies in those areas. So we need to start those experiments along the way. We need to do that right now. We need to staff it now and we need to run the experiments now so that we are ahead of the game by the time that five-year horizon turns up. I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher-performing product team meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. This is the system created by Chad, based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at 
theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Back in episode 46, 046 of this podcast, I had the pleasure of talking to Ken Gray. At the time, he was the global innovation leader for Caterpillar. And he expressed how they organized their work in terms of core. And they said they spend 75% of their innovation work on core activities, which is what's going to make money for us now that aligns with our core business. Mm. And then they spend 20% of their energies and finances on adjacent. So what makes sense for product work that adds on to something that Caterpillar is already doing, right? So maybe they're adding an implement to one of their heavy machines. Right. And so it's literally a bolt-on to the product line. Literally. Literally for them. And then 10% on transformation. And these are the things, as he described it, would be areas that you wouldn't expect Caterpillar to even be in, you know, new business opportunities that have a sense of transforming what Caterpillar might be about in the longer future. Not unlike Google X moonshot sort of projects, right? Right, right. Explore new things. And I like that structure to kind of just get my hands around thinking, okay, we're going to do core work, adjacent work, and transformational work. Well, and that that's very consistent with McKinsey's way of thinking about the um, the the uh, the domain in each of those three horizons. Um, they do explicitly say that a logical place to look for your new obvious engines of growth in Horizon 2 is in adjacent spaces. Either you take your existing product line into a new market where it needs to be changed a little bit for that market, or you look for add-ons to your current product that extend the product line into adjacent um, solutions like um, like you know the, uh, the the Apple Watch is right. um, an an add-on to the iPhone. It may someday replace iPhones if okay. it uh, if the interface and the power get to be um, get to be that effective that you don't need your phone anymore. But that that day is not here yet. So yeah. they are complementary, and it's a it's an add-on. It's a Horizon Two, right. a growth thing where just in time, it turns out the growth trajectory of the iPhone is topping out. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a, and now if Apple were experimenting in entirely new areas in, I don't know, self-driving cars, um, then um, that would be a Horizon 3 thing where nobody's out there with self-driving cars, at least not level five um, right now. Uh, it would be, if it were successful, it would be entirely transformative to Apple's business. Mm-hmm. Um and so they're experimenting with it reportedly right now, even though it being a significant contributor their biz- to their business is multiple years out, no doubt. Yeah, and the Apple Watch, I thought, was a good example there because as an adjacent sort of activity, it actually did two things for them. It let them sell more products to their existing loyal fan base, right? It's like, hey, I got the iPhone or the Apple Watch. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But there were people that adopted the Apple Watch who never had an iPhone before because they liked the idea of this new mode of interacting with messages and, yeah. and instruction. And so it extended their market, which is a great thing for an adjacent sort of product to do. That's right. Now, um, the mistake that I frequently see in uh, product teams managing their portfolio is that they tend to focus just on Horizon 1. Hmm. Um, maybe they have some ideas for the roadmap of future things that they would do that might be really transformative. But they're always next year things, and they always get kicked down further down the road. That gets back to the, if you want Horizon 3 to actually become real, you need to work on it now um, uh, problem. And instead, they tend to focus on 
the biggest source of current revenue. It's understandable why that would be. The current organization in a growth stage company or even a mature company is entirely designed around supporting the core products of the business. Mm -hmm. The sales team only feeds you um, ideas for the roadmap that they're hearing from the current market about the current product line. And they, in fact, they don't just feed you the ideas. They say, and I have to have this feature in order to make my numbers this quarter. Um, the current marketing organization only talks to the current target customers. The current support team only sends you problem uh, reports and um, statistics about current customers. Uh-huh. So, Um, The whole organization has a sort of a gravitational pull toward Horizon One. And as a product manager or as a product um, leader, it's really hard to escape that uh, gravitational pull Um, to the point where if the organization gets big enough, you know, (laughs) I'm going to extend this analogy to the ridiculous and say it can be a black hole and it can be impossible for any light or um, further growth to escape. Right. Um, So there has to be a deliberate attempt on the part of the organization to fund today things which will not pay off until the future. Horizon 2 things, um, even though they may be fast growing, are still small in absolute dollars. And so it's tempting to say, well, uh, we need to invest where the we're going to get the biggest return this quarter or this year. But that's short-sighted. That Horizon 2 stuff that will eventually become, if properly nurtured, um, the source of uh, of growth uh-huh. never gets enough um, never gets enough attention never achieves its potential and when your horizon stuff horizon one stuff plateaus and begins to decline you've got nothing. I really like the gravitational pull and black hole analogy there because right. as organizations grow, we expect the leaders of the organization to be good at optimizing the operations and focusing on horizon one. And if we're not deliberate, sooner or later we find ourselves not receiving the growth we expected. Right. You know, Kodak is a classic example of yes. having focused on film and film development. And while they were working on a super innovative company, working on amazing imagery systems that did make it to market in the healthcare area. So, oh, and they invented the digital camera. In 1982, they had the patent. It's an amazing story. But they weren't actually working on trying to incorporate those Horizon 2, 3 things into their business model very well. So. Right. And Xerox Park, you could argue yeah. is the same story, the, the the graphical user interface for computers. Yeah. Um, they invented it, but they couldn't find a way to commercialize it because their existing business was so focused on photocopies. Exactly. And Steve Jobs comes along and sees some cool tech and says, hey, I think we can do something with that. Those are good examples just to really underscore you must be deliberate about this construction of your portfolios. And not just invest in these science experiments like Xerox Park did, like Kodak did, but actually find a way to commercialize them. Mm-hmm. But the, the the other mistake that I see uh, companies make is they say, well, we're doing some innovative stuff. We're coming out with a new version of our product that has all these other whiz-bang capabilities. It's built on a new platform, et cetera. Um, and, you know, in, in old line companies, a lot of them are just uh, reproducing the existing product in a digital form for the first time. Huh. Um, or adding some cloud capabilities to an existing product. And those are all good, but they're not planning on charging separately for that product, so it's not Horizon 2. And they're not transforming their business or the customer's uh, experience, the customer's uh, reception of value um, 
receiving a value in the process. So it's not really Horizon 3 either. It's really just version 2 or probably version 11 of their existing Horizon 1 product. Hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. They probably should do that in order to extend the life of that product. But don't fool yourself into thinking, oh, we have a portfolio of innovation going on here. And we have, we have you know, new, new Horizon stuff going on. Um, that's, that's just keeping your Horizon 1 business alive a little longer. Yeah, that's a really good point. And as we've talked about this, two questions have come up in my mind that we've kind of included, but I want to crystallize these a bit. One is, so what are we actually using a portfolio roadmap for? Right. And the other one is, what do they look like? You talked yes. about, you know, swim lanes things. So whichever one you want to take first, I want to make sure we crystallize these. Right. So let's talk about the internal investment portfolio one first. What that's for is not so much sharing with your customers, but making good decisions as an executive team and also communicating those decisions um, across all the stakeholders. So your board, your investors, and um, the leadership all around the organization, frankly, the entire organization, just like any product roadmap. So in, a, in that way, it's kind of a roll-up of all the roadmaps of all of your products. It's a summary of, um, of, uh, of what's going on in the different parts of the product line. But unlike a compelling single product roadmap that really should be very focused on delivery of value to the customer, should have a clear product vision and a clear set of problems to solve for the customer. This is an internally focused document that's meant to um, help the executive team make investment decisions and explain those investment decisions to all the stakeholders Mm -hmm. um, internally. So it's important, for example, to be able to say we are investing some dollars in the core product, some other dollars in early growth stage things, and some other dollars in our science experiments. The, as you know, the McKinsey Three Horizons framework recommends like 70%, 20%, and 10% in those okay. three tranches. And it's important to explain that. And it's important to be able to have a decision, have a, have a discussion and some commitments to maintaining those. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a concrete example. A real company that um, I advise um, found themselves in the situation of always um, making decisions wanting to have things out in horizons two and three, but always making decisions to pull resources back into horizon one to support the current go-to-market effort. And um, they were concerned that over time they were seeing a slowing of growth and a slowing of profit uh, and a shrinking of profit margins. And so we sat down as an executive team and we worked through the three horizons framework and we agreed that we were going to adopt the 70 20 10 investment approach and we were going to take that even further and create specific cross-functional product teams for each horizon so that instead of saying well okay 10 percent of my roadmap is do- is is organi- is um dedicated to moonshots no, it's 10% of the entire organ, entire product organization's resources are 100% dedicated to those future sensing, future testing kinds of um, efforts. Yep. And that, um, that was transformative for them. And they, um, they feel as an executive team that they are much more easy, um, easily aligned 
around what do we do about specific opportunities that are coming our way? Which bucket do they fall in? Do we have the resources to pursue that? What would be the implication to our long-term viability as a company if we were to divert those resources from those buckets? Good. So that's the primary purpose of that kind of roadmap is to have a framework for having that discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the executive yeah. team discussion to say, where do we place our resources and have you know, kind of the adult in the room discussion that we need to leave those resources dedicated. Right, right. And that's not to say they will always uh, stick to those that allocation of resources in an ironclad way, but they will be um, explicitly making a trade-off whenever mm-hmm. they divert from it. Right. Um, and they have to have that discussion. And this is a framework for having that discussion. Excellent. So you position that as for the internal investment version, how we might use a portfolio roadmap. Right. What about the marketing point of view? Yeah, from the marketing point of view, um, this is that going back to the, um, we are we have offer a product line, good, better, best, or complementary products that solve adjacent problems. Um, and that's, uh, I, I use the example of uh, Bose, for example, in the product roadmapping book. Um, I happened to meet a longtime product manager at Bose, and he talked about the portfolio roadmap that they would bring when speaking with retailers um, to the table. And that portfolio roadmap was very structured. It showed here's the current offering um, in different categories that Bose is in, headphones versus stereos, etc., mm-hmm. um, versus um, um, nightstand um, solution. And also price tiers. Here's what, here's what we offer in the $300 range. Here's the $600 range. Here's the $1,200 range. And so they would be showing the existing portfolio in a grid like that. But for each one of those, they would map out the future. Now for a company like Bose, their roadmap is in years. Um, a software company, their roadmap might be in quarters, or it might be, um, I, I love the now, next, later format that right. has no dates on it at all. Um, um, but they would show this year's um, offering, and then they would show what are the top themes of things they anticipate adding to the value, to the selling proposition um, in each of the future years. Maybe next year they're going hard into Bluetooth across the product line. Um, maybe they're doing speakerphone integration mm-hmm. um, uh, or, or what have you. And they use that just like any customer-facing roadmap um, to have a conversation not about commitments, not about, um, not about exact features and dates, but about adding a value over time right. so that the retailer, say Best Buy, sees, oh, this is going to be so great. We're going to have something to offer to compete with um, Target um, to differentiate ourselves because we're going to have all this great Bose hardware coming down the road. And Bo- I can see that they're being innovative and they're, get, they're, on, um, they're talking about all the new stuff, the new technologies that people are um, abuzz about, that they talk about on all the tech news. Mm-hmm. And I can see... Um, the breadth of the portfolio at the same time. And I can see that they've covered all the important niches. That's really good. So I appreciate the contrast there between the two tools and how we might use those product portfolios. And it's all down to audience, right? It's right, all exactly. down to who is the audience and what decision are they trying to make? Yeah. And what's the value of this tool for that audience? Right. So let's talk about what this actually looks like. 
you talked about, you know, the swim lanes for the three horizons kind of approach. Describe this thing that we might be working around as a portfolio product map, mm. roadmap. Um, well, so first of all, a lot of roadmaps look like one of two things. They either look like a Gantt chart uh-huh. or they look like a timeline. And I think those are both almost always a mistake. And let me tell you why and what I prefer. Um, so a Gantt chart made up by Henry Gantt in the late 19th century to manage giant projects like the Hoover Dam project, which, by the way, was late um, and over budget, is um, one of those um, charts that you see with horizontal bars that all depend on each other and they kind of waterfall down. Um, First, we'll do this for six months and then we'll do that for the next following three months and et cetera. And they map dependencies and so on. It's the sort of chart that... um, Microsoft Project was always really right. good at. Yep. Um, um, that is not helpful for most roadmaps, including portfolio roadmaps, because it's all about project execution. It's all about oh. the duration of work and the resources management and the dependencies. And your, you think about the, the two conversations we were just saying that you could use a portfolio roadmap for. One is... Um, you're getting that you're you're talking about what is your investment in various parts of your portfolio, resource re, resource usage over time, dependencies, stuff like that. That's not really part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with Bose is talking to um, uh, to Target or to um, or to Best Buy. Why do they care what our timelines are and what our resource allocation is? They don't. Um, what they want to know is when do we get it. When do we get, what do we get and when do we get it? Um, so uh, a Gantt chart is not really all that helpful when communicating at this level uh-huh. and with these, with these kinds of um, entities. It's a lot of noise for not a lot of information that's relevant to them. Um, secondly, a Gantt chart is a form of timeline, but sometimes when people realize, well, the resource allocation is not really the important thing here, what's important is delivery dates. Um, they go to a simple timeline. So it's just a, a long, thin line with like arrows and bubbles coming off of the line that show over right. time, when are we delivering things? And that focuses so much on timeframes and delivery dates that it, again, obscures the message about value, in my mind, um, about where are we investing? Why are we investing? Um, what what will you, either the investor or the uh, partner, the channel partner, get from us. It takes the emphasis off of what, uh, off of the value, and puts it on the timing, uh-huh. which is not the most important consideration. So instead, I I prefer just a simple grid, a simple table um, that's organized. We talked about the portfolio roadmap. I like to organize a portfolio roadmap so that um, the parts of the portfolio are swim lanes are, um, are, um, that is, uh, rows rather than columns so that you can, um, show that your investment in the different parts of the portfolio are all going on simultaneously. And you can still have moving from left to right. You can still have time Uh and your time dimensions can be whatever they need to be quarters, years, um, now, next, later, whatever you like. Um, so that that makes it fairly simple. The other thing that 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 approach allows is it allows you to add in some interstitial rows 
um, or some additional rows at the bottom where what what goes into the um, table is not just what value are we delivering in each cell? Like, um, you know, we're going to add Bluetooth or we're going to um, experiment in a new market in the in the uh, investment portfolio approach is it allows you to um, have additional coordinating information that um, is complementary. So um, if there are marketing pushes or trade shows that happen at certain times right. that might affect the entire portfolio or por- portions of it, that information can go along the bottom. Um, in addition, um, sometimes you want more information on the, uh, on the roadmap other than just what's coming when, uh-huh. um, or, and by what I mean, you know, the value of it, um, Sometimes you want complementary information, especially on the internal portfolio roadmap that's about investment on um, business objectives, on um, performance criteria. Like we're expecting this to generate so much revenue or um, this many customers or um, this much of an improvement in profit margin, which does two things. One is it, it number one, ex- explicitly... Um, sets targets and allows you to report on progress. Um, but it also explains why we're doing these different things and that each part of the portfolio serves a different and complementary purpose to the whole. So it explicitly shows that our measures of success for the core part of the portfolio are revenue and profit probably. Mm-hmm. And then it explicitly shows that our our definition of success for Horizon two parts of the portfolio, though those measures are different. Huh. It's not actually gross dollars. It's probably growth rate or um, market share, um, and it's probably not margin because margin when you're fun, when you're trying to really grow something fast, margin may be negative. Um, so you probably either you're reporting on how negative it is or you're not reporting on it at all because mm-hmm. growth is the real measure of success. And with the, with the third horizon, the science experiments, the goals are different yet. It's how many um, validated market opportunities have we got through our, our uh, experimental system? It's um, how many things have we handed over to the Horizon 2 team that uh, actually turned into growth opportunities? Good. Thank you for taking us through that and describing how to lay that out. So laying out in those swim lanes, if you're using the three horizon approach, then those become your rows. And then you can add information like constraining dates, like a trade show and like, and metrics that we might be using. Really good information. As listeners know, I love a good quote too. And I wanted you to share one. What quote do you have for us? Well, before we started, um, I was... um looking at my bookshelf and uh, one of my favorite books of all time is Simon Sinek's Start With Why. And uh, the reason for that is um, we get so caught up as, uh, as, a, as an industry in executing that we forget to s- step back and ask why. Mm-hmm. And I think the core job of product people is to always start every conversation with why. When someone comes to you and says, you know what we really should do? Or I have a request for a feature from a customer. The first question that the product manager should ask is what problem are you trying to solve? Or is the customer trying to solve? Why would that be valuable? Tell me what you expect to be the outcome. If 
we do this. And it forces people to think not just should we do this or not, but is this the problem we are trying to solve? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my, um, my favorite way of actually dealing with a long list of customer feature requests um, is not to put it in a spreadsheet and try to prioritize it. It's actually to try to figure out why anybody wants any of these things. I want to talk to the customers. Right. I want, uh, and I, I often find that a list, uh, a list of feature requests are, is really a list of solutions to problems which are probably not clearly articulated in the request, uh, if at all. Right. And if you actually go back and speak with the people who made those requests, or you know, sometimes you have to trace it back a few people, um, you find that that list of 100 requests is actually actually aimed at maybe three or four fundamental bedrock problems that people mm-hmm. are trying to solve, and they're just making up ways that might help them. Um, and if you can understand those three or four bedrock problems better, then you can get creative with your team about solving them in a generic, generic repeatable way that makes all 100 of those things go away pretty quickly. Yep. Start with why, and the why is from the customer. Really good, Bruce. Thanks for sharing that important book too. And how can people follow up with you? What's the best place for people to go to to get more information on the work that you're doing? I have a website, um, productculture.com, spelled like it sounds. And um, there I write articles and I have a newsletter called One Thing on Product Culture. That's, I don't, it's actually not a newsletter. I call it a nano letter because it's meant to be super short, one thing only. I talk about one thing about product culture. That is, you know, what, what's the best way to um, organize and be successful as a product organization. Um, and I usually highlight one um, open position for a friend at, um, for product people, engineers, UX people, what have you, uh-huh. um, at a company that's hiring um, and or one um, speaking uh, engagement that I'll be doing somewhere around the world. So that's the best place to learn more. Excellent, Bruce. Thanks for that. Thanks for the information on road mapping, all three parts now. And I appreciate you spending time with the Everyday Innovators. My pleasure. Thanks again for listening to the Everyday Innovator. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to being a product master. That means learning the practical knowledge that we talk about and also getting the influence that you need along with that confidence you're building to create products that customers love. Find the written summary of what we discussed with Bruce, how to apply roadmaps to a portfolio management situation. That's at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 232. And also, if you have a story about how this podcast has helped you in your career, please email me. Glad to hear those. That's chad at theeverydayinnovator.com. Thanks so much. And keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.